Hi, welcome to the Macabre Emporium. Let me get my emotional support cat. Okay. <laughs> to be quiet and keep the kids quiet, since he was getting anxiety and he didn't want to kill children. Gertrude's daughter even got to join in on what they considered fun. Tell us about the giant turtle. Alan never showed up, nor was he ever heard from again beyond that point. Welcome back to Macabre Emporium. We are on episode 20. Yes, episode 20, in those awkward years in between 18 and 21 where nothing important goes on in your life. Or nothing matters. Or nothing matters. <laughs> but anyhow. Yes. And if this is your first time joining us, welcome. So, this week we have somewhat of a special announcement. Somewhat. But it... Don't worry, we're not calling it quits or anything like that. No. But not even a little I bit. I will let Sarah explain. Okay, so um, a position at my job opened. It's a management position, and I applied, interviewed, and uh, was offered the job, and I accepted. So with that, um, it's going to be a lot more demanding on me, and there's going to be a lot more that I have to learn. And I know that I'm going to be mentally exhausted, basically, mm-hmm. and won't have the the will to, you know, research and write up a script after I get home from work. Right. So for the month of April, I will not be doing <laughs> will not be doing my portion of the episodes. I will still be here. <clears throat> I will just be uh supporting David on his episodes. Yep. And then the first you know, week that we're supposed to come back in March. Well, we'll be doing one in March. I'll be back. Mm-hmm. I'm just giving myself the month of April off to get acquainted with my new position. So if you're curious what it is, it's going to probably be a lot of more stuff that I normally do. Probably like it. <laughs> if you keep hearing bumps, it's because Legosi will not leave us alone because we're not recording at our normal time of day right now. But at are you done, mister? <laughs> Anything else you want to fucking rub on? Anyhow. Nope, he just wants to be sticky. I don't remember what I was saying now. That you will be oh. doing your normal stuff. I'll probably still be doing my normal episodes, topics, weird history, origins of things like I have this week. Uh-huh. But I'll probably be some of the true crime cases I keep saying I want to do more of, but yeah. don't really fit with ones that you've done. Gotcha. Like, you know, with on our whiteboard we have behind our shop counter here that yep. I've moved stuff more than one time because it doesn't fit yeah. with what you're doing. And I think that it's come out a lot better of me doing something similar in the same time period. Yeah. It might be a weird change just here and there in the background for a bit, but she'll be back. Yep promise because or threaten either way (laughs) yeah i'll be back yeah if she doesn't come back you know i just keep blowing up the facebook yeah there you go it's like where are you come back he's boring by himself or whatever (laughs) but anyhow so with all that said what do you have this week sarah um i have it's true crime Mm -hmm. uh murder of a neo-nazi leader Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Hold on. Let me do the shocked William Shatner face here. <laughs> so do it. <laughs> and then you guys can't see that. 
I was waiting for it, and you're just staring at me with a goofy <laughs> grin on your face. Like, so do it. So. What are you doing? I'm doing something, I guess you could say true crime, but it might also sound like something that's very overdone. But uh-huh. it, and that is Last Meals. Oh. But it is not like you would think of me doing Last Meals. Your first thought was probably, is, oh, he's going to read off a bunch of Last Meals. And what's uh-huh. No, I'm going to go over the uh, history of how Last Meals got started. I do have some examples in here. Wait, so you're doing an origin story? Yeah, I know. It's a huge what? fucking shock uh-huh. that I am. But I do have some, you know, condemned inmates, like, last meals in here for examples, but that's for the most part. But, you yeah. know, no big six names. Yeah. Of course. Yes. Because I'm sure we all know that Ted Bundy had steak and eggs for his last meal, and Eileen Warno's had, you know, just a cup of black coffee for hers. That's gross. Like, you know, you're going to die and you put the last thing you put in your body willingly is a black coffee. No, I mean. The fuck's wrong with you? Well, for her, it was a lot, but. Right. <laughs> but also one more note. You might hear a lot of extra background noise because we normally cr- record after dark when everything's more settled. We had a, an event to go to the day before, so we had to push it back to today during the day walker hours. Ugh. So there might be extra background noise. I'm going to do the best I can to cut it out. So you might hear a car or two pass by. Nothing I can do about it. Yeah. So. And it's real bright outside. Yeah. That sun's got a lot of nerve. Yeah. But everything on the store shelves look a little bit more mysterious now with the light coming through the shop windows. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and the dust helps the ambiance, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even though Salem hasn't gone around and come back like a whole different shade lately. <laughs> right. Walking over, walking over to us. He left black. He came back fucking gray. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But anyhow, so you're ready to get started then? Yes. So as I had said, I'm doing the death of a neo-Nazi leader. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is fairly recent. Um, So there was a, a guy by the name of Jeff Hall that was shot to death in his home while he slept. But the suspect isn't who you would assume it would be with him being a neo-Nazi leader. So just some background information on him. Um, Jeff had been married to a woman named Letitia Neal, and he had two kids with her. He had a boy and a girl, Joseph and Shirley. And then Jeff and Letitia divorced soon after uh, Joseph was, was born in 2000. Letitia went on to have twins with another man, and in 2003, both of the twins that she had uh, were taken to the hospital for a prolonged stay um, due to failure to thrive. Do you know what that is? No. So basically, it's like uh, malnourishment, just like, think of something that fails to thrive, like it's not being fed, it's not being treated correctly. Um, and this resulted in CPS, which is Child Protective Services, for those right. that don't know what that means. Um, they came in and removed the other two kids that Jeff had, as well as, you know, the twins being in the hospital. So social workers had reported that Letitia's house had no gas or electricity. They also reported that there were maggots on the dishes and, like, dirty diapers just kind of strolled around and there were maggots crawling like through the diapers. That's 
Yeah. The children were filthy, malnourished, and consistently had bruises. Like, always had bruises. At this point, Jeff was on probation for driving under the influence. And as a result, both of his children were placed with their grandmother temporarily until 2004 when Jeff was given custody back. After divorcing Letitia, Jeff married a woman named Kristen McCary, and they had three more children, all girls this time. Uh, But by the time Jeff died, he had five of his own children in total, plus the two twins from his previous wife that he kind of became father to. Letitia, the previous wife, had moved out of California and remarried, but she wound up returning to the area only a month before Jeff was murdered in an attempt to regain custody of their son, Joseph. But nothing about regaining custody of their shared daughter, Shirley. The grandmother that had taken custody of uh, Shirley and Joseph had said that Jeff and Letitia's son, Joseph, was a truly volatile child. She said he had been expelled from numerous schools for attacking staff and other students. He had nearly choked a teacher to death with a phone cord. It's like, this, kid, yeah. this kid's got some issues. As a result, Joseph and his sisters had been homeschooled by their parents after that with the guidance of River Springs Charter School. So that was just a little background on his family situation. Okay. Uh, now we're going to get into the neo-Nazi shit. Like, at first I was like, why the fuck did they find a, you find a phone with a phone cord? Then I remembered we still have wired phones at my work, and I'm sure you guys still did too. So, it's like. Yeah. But this was also back in 2000. And. 2000 and. Well. Whenever. It was the the early, early to mid 2000s at this point. So, yeah, there are still landline phones still around. And there still are all over the place. Yeah, my dad still has one. Well, it hasn't rang in like 15 years, but he still has one. Well, there you go. I don't even know what the number is for it. Really? Yeah. You don't know your dad's home number? No, because I have his cell phone number because I didn't even know he had a landline still. Until <laughs> he mentioned it one time. And you didn't bother to ask him for the number? No, because I didn't think about it. Oh. Eh, eh. Maybe I do have it, and I just don't remember that I did until now. Eh, maybe. There was a three-year stretch where Jeff was working as a plumber while he tried to find a job in the field that he was um, more familiar with. However, he had found that extremely hard to do mm-hmm. um, as a construction worker because he felt that the economic demise of the construction-related jobs was due to uh, Jews and other non-whites. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. He said that 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 Jewish people in particular and non-whites as he called them, so every other rela- you know, race and creed out there uh were the right. reason that the job market for construction related jobs was thinning. Which is really fucking stupid because generally Jewish people are known very well known for how well they handle their money mm-hmm. and working in financial institutions so you have to have a loan to can build a pro you know have a construction project so how does that work but i mean stupidity yeah, stupid. i know and most neo-nazis are anyway they're not the brightest in the first place so so what do you do when you're unable to find a job because it's being oversaturated with non-whites um I don't know because mm. I'm not 
And now I see skin hand out wears red suspenders. Aww. If you're curious what the hell I'm talking about, Slatterama from Guar. Yeah. But anyway. Uh, you know, I mean, you become the leader of your local neo-Nazi movement. That's what you do, apparently. That's mm, what this asshole did. Right. In October of 2009, Jeff ran a group from the National Socialist Movement in a rally um, near a day laborer site in Riverside, California. This was the nation's largest neo-Nazi group. Lovely. They had... <clears throat> They had worn a uh, World War II era Nazi attire that was like their uniform. The platform for their movement was to advocate for limiting citizenship to those that were not of pure white blood and deporting anybody of color. Or they could just say, you know, we have small penises and we're mad about it. <laughs> we're real mad. In November of 2009, an interview came out about uh, the rallies happening in Riverside in Arizona and in Minnesota. And Jeff had said, this is a quote, they're proud of who they are, tired of white guilt being shoved on their kids and multiculturalism. They can't see any reason for it. Like, it seems like a stupid reason to have, you know, Mm -hmm. a rally, but I guess when you're stupid to begin with. Right. In 2010, Jeff decided to run for election against an incumbent for the Western Municipal Water District Board as a white supremacist. Like, he was fully okay with everybody knowing what a piece of shit he was. Yeah. Uh, he didn't get the job. Oh, there's a shocker. I can only <laughs> wonder why that didn't fucking happen. <laughs> and he, he literally barely got a third of all of the votes. How he got that many? Well, it was probably... All those little micro-peanut buddies. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, so I'm going to be making fun of white supremacists for this entire fucking portion of this episode. If you're offended, well, you should probably quit listening Yeah, anyways. if you're offended, don't listen to... By that, don't listen to our fucking podcast. We don't need you. <laughs> Nor do we want you. In March of 2011, Jeff and his dumbass group of two dozen racist fucks went to the streets in a very affluent neighborhood in Claremont, which lies within Los Angeles County. This area, uh, they often call it like the city of trees and PhDs. So right. very high-paid, upscale, mm-hmm. ritzy place. So, like Carmel, Indiana for the most part. Uh, that was the first thing that popped into my head when I when I read the land of trees and PhDs. So yeah. They showed up waving swastika flags, chanting white power, and giving Nazi salutes to the counter-protesters. They were being belligerent and screaming, causing confrontations with the counter-protesters that were um, also immigrant rights activists. So, definitely two sides of the spectrum there. Mm -hmm. Jeff went on to say, We patrol the borders, we see the devastation, we see the drugs, we know the reality. And there were two dozen police officers there in case the two sides collided and a fight broke out. I'm pretty sure that it didn't happen because there weren't, I didn't see any reports of it. And I'm sure they were hoping they do a fight didn't break out because they didn't want to deal with this stupid bullshit from, you know. Oh, I'm sure. Neo-Nazis for the most part. I'm sure. Or the micro-peen brigade. (laughs) The micro-peen regime. (laughs) Oh, that was even better. (laughs) I know. 
Uh, a mere 12 hours prior to his death, there were reporters from the New York Times in his house interviewing him and his crew. The interviewer interview. The interviewer also spoke with uh, his 10-year-old son, Joseph, who proudly displayed his leather belt that had a silver belt buckle mm-hmm. um, with a swastika on it that he was more than happy to let the interviewer know that his dad gave it to him. Yeah, of course. So now we're going to talk about this piece of shit dying. Uh... Jeff Hall had bragged that he was teaching his son Joseph to use night vision goggles and how to shoot a gun. Unfortunately, he was also teaching his son how to be deadly. Joseph would tell the police how on May 1st in 2010, he took a 357 revolver from the shelf closet, pulled the hammer back, and aimed the gun at his 32-year-old father's ear while he slept on the couch downstairs. And he would shoot him. And after that, he, I mean, it didn't really freak him out. The only thing he did was run upstairs and toss the gun under his bed to hide it. But he, he seemed to have very little remorse, which, I mean, I get it. Wait, so his 10-year-old son shot him fatally on the couch? Mm-hmm. At first, I, for some reason, I was thinking that it was... He was dry firing it for the most part, which I'm not sure you know what that means or not. I don't. Dry firing means basically firing a gun with no live ammunition in it. Oh, no. No. Well, I'll get to that. Right. Well, because, you know, these dumb fucks probably, like, aren't practicing proper gun safety for one, obviously. That, That would be pretty obvious. And probably never in general in the first place. Yeah. So, Joseph had told police the day prior to him killing his dad uh, that Jeff had been threatening to remove every smoke detector that was in the house and burning it down with them inside while they all slept. Uh, Joseph admitted that he was exhausted from being physically and emotionally abused by his dad, as well as by um, seeing the same abuse happen to his mother at the hand of his father. Joseph's 26-year-old stepmother, Krista, had also spoken out against Jeff, uh, stating that he was extremely violent with herself and with his son, and that Jeff would lose control sometimes and kick his son in the back. He would punish his children literally daily, and all of them in, like, varying extremes of punishment, basically. One of the reports had said that the house was disgusting, which I mentioned earlier. Um that the the floor was trashed, dirty clothes everywhere, the house it smelled smelled the house itself smelled like urine. Um they also said that there were many weapons just kind of laying around, like accessible to the children in his house. All of them full with ammunition. Right. Uh, just ammunition kind of laying around everywhere, too. So, yeah, it wasn't hard for a 10-year-old to grab the gun. Right. Joseph was arrested and taking, taken to a local juvenile hall. The other four children in the house were taken into protective custody. Joanne Patterson was Jeff Hall's mother. Um, she was given temporary custody of all four of the children. 
other than Joseph because he was in juvie. Right. In a 60 Minutes interview, she said Joseph had been misbehaving by starting fires and that uh, basically she said with like little to no humor that she was not at all surprised that Joseph killed his dad. She had expected it. She just expected it when he was a little more grown and not 10 years old. Yeah. Like, how fucked up is that? Right. Oh, yeah. I just always expected him to kill his daddy, but it just... <laughs> When he was maybe 13. <laughs> right. Right. Krista, who was Joseph's stepmom, was arrested and charged with five felony counts of child endangerment and four counts of criminal storage of a firearm. Because she lived in that house, too. It's kind of her role to make sure it's safe for her kids, which she obviously didn't. Right. Joseph stated that the reason for killing his father was due to abuse. However... He also stated that he had watched a episode of Criminal Minds, and in this episode, um, what he saw kind of solidified his decision to shoot his dad. He, uh, he said in the episode he watched that he claimed uh, there was a child that shot their abusive father and got away with it without any consequence whatsoever. No, oh, so he was going with the, well, that's how it works on TV thing. Right. He also said that he believed, like on the show, that daddy would wake up and they would work things out and reconcile. Obviously, that didn't happen. Um, I'm kind of hopeful that he learned a lesson, though. Like, don't believe the shit you see on TV. That shit is not how real life fucking works. Just don't. Don't. Just don't. Yeah. (laughs) What? Just the look on your face even though they can't see it you're oh. just like you're just like just don't <laughs> super serious well like come on you're 10 you 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 kind of have to know a little better than than that at that point right but also if you're 10 years old and well <clears throat> he was 10 years old and depending on the type of household you're growing up you know brought Correct. up in, and it makes a huge difference because you know the whole nature versus nurture debate with serial killers right it's always gone on. Yes. But when you're growing up in a real life Malkovich house, you know. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of um, American History X. Yeah. With the little brother and the big brother. But that's a good fucking movie. But I was thinking like the Malkovich house from fucking Shameless. Is ca- oh, came oh I know. Mind. Mickey, Mickey Malkovich. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These guys are fucking nuts. Anyways, so a little bit of the legal stuff. Um coincides with what you just said so joseph's attorney had originally sought a defense of not guilty by reason of insanity right that would have meant that if he had been convicted at that time he would not have been able to be incarcerated past the age of 25 um and i think he was just wanting him to plead that way so you know he would spend as little time in prison as possible yeah But on January 14th, 2013, after a four-month trial, Joseph was found guilty of second-degree intentional murder. There was no denying he did it. He admitted to it. However, the judge wondered if Joseph had had the mental capacity to understand the difference between right and wrong. Mm -hmm. Joseph had been diagnosed with emotional, cognitive, and developmental disabilities from a younger age due to the regular beatings that he endured at the hand of his father. 
During the trial, Joseph had been denied the correct assessments that were deemed necessary to completely understand his special needs. So, what you said, kind of the nature versus nurture, Mm -hmm. like, he was definitely a, what would you call it? Uh, what, what's, I had the, the, I had it right there. I'm not even sure. A product of his environment. There we go. Yes. <clears throat> um, and unfortunately, it led to issues that were forced upon him that there's no there's no taking back. There's no making it better. So maybe he truly didn't understand that what he saw on the TV wasn't real life. Right. You know? Um, with that said, he still killed his dad. Right. So... The show went on. Joseph became Joseph would become California's youngest ever prisoner as he served his 10 years in the Division of Juvenile Justice. He is set to be released when he was 23, which is sometime this year. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. But that's it. So that's it, huh? Shorten. So nothing about if he's still I could has racist tendencies that were ingrained to him as I a young child or not. I could not find anything post being put in jail i could find nothing and i googled a lot well probably because him being a minor at the time that when it happened all that stuff's sealed up and he still could be in jail we don't it is he is set to be released sometime this year by math alone right but yeah i couldn't find a release date for him and probably because it was a minor case well, not a minor case, but a case involving a minor at the time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I tried. I couldn't find anything. I found one picture of him, and that was when he was still like a, a child. child. So I don't know that he's even out yet. And if he is, maybe he's changed his name and is laying low because he doesn't want anything to do with all yeah. the shit that happened prior. Could be. I mean, yeah, traumatic experience. Yeah. Even though he knew what he was doing, I guess. She- I guess you could say, even though he didn't realize what was going to fucking happen. He also had cognitive disabilities, which means that there's a chance that he didn't know. Yeah. Which makes that a very difficult ruling, I'm sure, for the judge that presided over the case. Right. Uh. So with you mentioning about the plea of insanity, if you don't remember, I went over a case that had that law changed. About that back in the 70s in Indianapolis. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the Tony yeah. Kurtz's case. T- Tony K and the Punk Rock Pussy, I remember. <laughs> That's what the name of that one was. Well, part <laughs> one of two. Right. If, or part two of two of that episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yes, I do remember that. So, yeah, that was quite interesting, even though it had yeah. to do with piece of shit neo-Nazis and whatnot. But. Sure did. I would honestly, I would really hope that for kids that are in that kind of situation Mm -hmm. that have a learning disability, a cognitive developmental disability of any kind, that they not saying that they shouldn't be held to the same justice per se, Okay, but they also some of them just truly don't grasp right from wrong yeah you know 
I would hope that there would be something, a law put in place that would protect that demographic of people. Yeah. Well, actually, in, there was in part of mine. Is there? Mm-hmm. Oh. So let's get into it. If I were to say last meal or last supper, images of Jesus Christ surrounded by his disciples may come to mind with Easter being only a few weeks away. Or maybe a lone death row inmate confined to himself surrounded by food. It could even be a loved one in their final moments wanting one last sweet treat of a beer float. On its origins. Some scholars believe it's originated in ancient Greece and in Rome as well. In ancient Greece, it is believed that you had to feed the condemned to be executed so they could cross over the river Styx in the underworld and not return as a hungry ghost. Whereas the Roman gladiators would feast on meals days before entering the Colosseum, their meals varied from meats and cheeses, goat's milk, eggs, and barley. They believed that this meal would help protect the arteries with fat to prevent bleeding out and help fortify the body of the fighters as where most gladiators that entered the arena fought to the death. Mm -hmm. The last meal wouldn't become more established until the 16th century in England. Laws were harsh in this time period. Deaths, death sentences by hanging could be issued from minor crimes from stealing a chicken, insulting the king, or even witchcraft. And one other thing that came up was... Cutting down trees, probably being on someone else's property would be my assumption of that. Or a tree out of the royal forest or something. Oh, jeez. You know. But anyhow. As most prisoners were were held in Newgate Prison in London, they would be hanged in Tyburn three miles away. Only often being fed bread and water unless you could afford the hangman's meal. The hangman's meal would consist of stopping at a pub along the route accompanied by the guards and your executioner where you would have a great bowl of ale to drink at their pleasure as their last refreshment in life. This hangman's meal was more to be a symbolic gesture than anything else. Mm -hmm. This ritualistic meal would be shared between the condemned and their executioner. It was to reinforce the idea that they were acting on behalf of the orders passed down by the crown and they were simply enforcing the law. It was assumed the prisoner would be forgiving the executioner for doing what he was about to do and acknowledge his crime was against the state and not the person himself being the executioner. Gotcha. One of the earliest documented hangman's meals was the Susanna Margaretha Brand in 1772. Susanna would be put on trial and executed by decapitation by sword for killing her newborn son. Now, Mm. I know you're probably curious on what this was. It was basically the child, like, she wasn't aware she was pregnant. Uh Child fell out, hit its head on the stone floors used in this time period, and then she ended up hiding the body out of it. So that's basically what happened with it. 
There's not a lot of whole information on her crime, really. Well, it from, I'm sure it was a long, long time ago. But there, there's a whole list of what, she, what they had, though, which is weird. Huh. Susanna would sit down to a feast of three pounds of bratwurst, ten pounds of beef, didn't specify a type of beef, six pounds of baked carp, twelve pounds of lamb roast, soup, cabbage, bread, dessert, which wasn't specified what type of desserts, probably being in Germany, probably like cakes and probably. Bavarian creams and things like that. And eight liters or two gallons of wine for us that aren't using the metric system. Right. <laughs> it's like, can you put that in, in America terms, please? <laughs> no, don't worry, I did. <laughs> um, I know it seems like a lot for one person, but this was for her, two judges, six officials, and the executioners. Oh, damn. Himself, so that's... But she got to pick out the meal for all of them. Yeah, and then say if it was picked out, but... If it was picked out or if it was a state or being this time period is probably what was available. Like I said, there's only really the information on what she had, but not if it was selected by her or whatnot. Gotcha. In the New World, it was believed that the Puritans of Massachusetts would set the last meal for the condemned to emulate the Last Supper of Christ as well. Oh. So... Over the centuries, the fanfare of the hangman's meal would fade away to what is depicted in movies and television today. The sole prisoner counting down the minutes, hoping for a last-second appeal, would buy them some extra time. But in the state of Louisiana, Warden Burl Kane would routinely invite condemned prisoners to eat their last meal with him and invited guests offering a fellowship similar to Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper. That, okay. I don't know, I keep bringing up. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm not going into explanation to it, regardless of your faith. When you hear the term Last Supper, you know what I'm talking uh -huh. about. Cain would still go on to supervise these executions, even spending these personal moments with these, you know, condemned inmates at this point. Yeah. He would also, you know, he would extend this invitation to all the death row inmates. They were not obligated to accept it, and I wasn't in it wasn't able to find out how many prisoners accepted or declined his invitations in 26 years as warden. Um, there was, this came up with him more than one more source. He actually bought lobster tail for one specific inmate. Didn't give a name though, but it just continuously came up and he paid for that out of his own pocket and not with state money. That's expensive. Yeah. Lobster's expensive. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not wondering if this was an inmate that, you know, had, really good behavior or something or was a pillar of the prison so he right. went out of his way didn't do this for him last meals would be carried out generally today within one to two days before an execution alcohol and tobacco is often requested but are usually denied most of the time but some people are still granted that why would you deny it like you're gonna you know that they're gonna die in two days like um because it's contraband yeah, but you think that they would make an exception for it's that. state law about that. Like, tobacco is banned from all correctional facilities in our state. Like, even for Indiana correctional facility officers, they can't even bring their own personal cigarettes in. Like, they could still even get trouble in trouble bringing that stuff in to the jails, prisons, or things like that right for the most part uh, so i get it i'm just saying and then you know depending on the inmate if he wants to be defiant in one last moment use the alcohol to set fire to a cell if he can oh, is able true. to 
That's probably why. Unorthodox or unavailable items requests are generally substituted. For example, James Edward Smith, convicted for murder and armed robbery in the state of Texas, would request a lump of dirt. And I'm going to explain that in case you're a lump of dirt yes, he as had. his last meal. Yep, and he had a reason for it. Of course, his request was denied and was given a cup of yogurt instead. Okay. Wasn't given just a cup of yogurt. Didn't say what kind of yogurt it was. Smith wanted this lump of dirt to perform a voodoo ritual in marking his body so his spirit can move on and not return as a ghost. Ah, okay. Another long-believed request but has now been debunked was from Doug Stefaner. This was first reported he wanted a child as his last meal as he was a convicted pedophile cannibal. It first popped up in a Norwegian newspaper at some point, but it has now been debunked by Snopes and a couple other pages. So it never happened. It never actually happened. Like they told them that we're trying to find a child under $25,000, blah, 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 and all this stuff. And people actually fucking believed it. And some other shows have put that out there as a fact. And it's not. Good God. So, um, so like probably for your substitution, if you try to order like Alaskan caught salmon, you're probably going to get like cod <laughs> right from culver's or something like that <laughs> i mean that would be a pretty good last meal yeah. that cod from culver's is the shit mm-hmm. all 50 states had offered a last meal to condemn prisoners until 2011 texas death row inmate lawrence russell brewer convicted of a hate crime would ask for his last meal the day of brewer's last meal inmates were served sloppy joes navy beans cream corn and sliced bread lawrence russell brewer's last meal would actually consist of Two fried chicken smothered in gravy, a triple bacon cheeseburger, a cheese omelet with ground beef, tomatoes, onions, bell peppers, and jalapenos, a pound of barbecue with a loaf of white bread, and now with my, you know, barbecue session, I guess you could say. Uh-huh. I tried to see, find what it was exactly being in Texas. It's probably going to probably more likely be beef ribs and brisket. Yeah. Or pulled, you know, more likely be pulled pork too, but... Beef brisket and beef ribs are more popular in Texas than anything else. A bowl of fried okra with ketchup, three fajitas, didn't specify steak or chicken, a meat lover's pizza, one pint of bluebell ice cream, flavor was not specified, a slab of peanut butter fudge with crushed peanuts, and three root beers. Jesus Christ. After his request... After his request was granted and presented his last meal in the last act of defiance... And some sources stated that it was because he was nervous of depending his upcoming death sentence that yeah. he would refuse his, mass, his last meal stating he wasn't hungry. It's up to for debate on which one it's ever been because they both went back and forth. Mm-hmm. being Him being a racist and hating law enforcement to final realization of, you know, I'm in my last days like, yeah. popped up. So... Up to this point, Texas was known for its tradition of a customized last meal for death row inmates since 1924. And since Brewer didn't touch his food in the slightest bit, Texas would put an end to the last meals in this manner, and they were now serving them whatever the regular inmate scheduled meal was for that day. Since then, a petition has appeared on change.org to try and reinstate this in texas but as you could guess it it hasn't gone anywhere with only 15 of the 25 minimum required signatures yeah 
as the rest of the United States still grants last meal requests. A majority of these states follow the same guidelines based on availability and legality. Other states like Florida and Oklahoma would put monetary restrictions on these meals. Florida would limit the last meal to up to $40 and must be purchased locally, and Oklahoma would limit theirs to a meal budget to $25. Okay. You can, I mean, you can still get a lot for $25, right. depending on what it is. Right. I also did try to see if federal prisons vary differently from state-run prisons, but I just kept getting cycled back to the same articles as before, even though I did find some... Saying say fun tiddly bits. Oh, fun tiddly bits. Yeah. A study conducted by Cornell University looked at the last meals of 247 executed inmates between 2002 and 2006. And they found that those that maintained their innocence to the very end before riding the lightning, as they would say about electric chairs, All right. would reject their last meal three times more than those that had accepted their guilt. Huh. These researchers also found those at, quote-unquote, at peace with their guilt would consume 34 more percent more calories than those that still claimed to be innocent. They concluded that this was a way prisoners were telling their executioners to shove it, so to speak, about them being wrongly convicted. Right. Like I stated earlier, I did really wanted to stay away from making this as a huge list of last meals from death row inmates, but our friends of Dark Windows Podcast, they do have an excellent episode about that if you're interested in hearing something like that um it's episode 66 you're gonna have to count them out but it's also from april 2019 it's quite interesting to listen to i mean from talking to kevin now and then listening to kevin from 2019 being so young and innocent and full of life (laughs) (laughs) and not beaten down by the world at that time so if you haven't given them a listen as much as I've brought them up before. Go listen. Go, yeah. Thanks, because my brain decided to stop working like Lugosi's head has here sitting next to us by the shop counter. <laughs> and to maybe to entice you to give them more of a listen, they actually go over the details of one last meal that actually contains 29,000 calories. The fuck? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not putting it in here. I didn't put it in here. Damn. <clears throat> so, so if you're that curious, go find their episode. So what I am going to give you is three more last meals that you may or may not have heard of. Okay. Piece of shit. Nazi officer Adolf Eichmann tried and convicted of war crimes and crimes against humanity during World War II would request a bottle of caramel and a dry red wine from Israel that could be seen as rubbing assault to the wound of those of the Jewish faith. Uh. Yeah. Indiana's last death row inmate that was executed in 2009, Matthew Eric Wrinkles, probably was the most Midwest last meal I could think of. Wrinkle was convicted of three counts of murder and would have prime rib with a baked potato, pork chops with steak fries, two salads with ranch dressing and rolls. No corn? No corn, surprisingly. Wow. Yeah. Ricky Ray Richter of Arkansas's death sentence would be more controversial as he was left mentally disabled after trying to take his own life after killing a police officer. His last meal would consist of steak, fried chicken, cherry Kool-Aid, and pecan pie. He left the pie on the tray and he told the officers he would be saving it for later with his disabilities. With like you were talking about in your portion, yeah. he didn't realize he's not coming back. That's sad. Um, 
His pile would not be discarded until after he was officially pronounced dead after his execution. It could be that the guards felt that it might have been the right thing to do because of his disabilities. There wasn't a whole lot of details in with that. Yeah. And with what you were saying about laws protecting those with disabilities from certain type of sentences. In 2002, the U.S. Supreme Court banned the execution of people with intellectual disabilities in Atkins versus Virginia, ruling that the practice constitutes cruel and unusual punishment. And when I was still looking into this for some other little interesting things about last meals mm-hmm. and other things that go along with it, a lot came up with just a few had last words. Some of them were like, I just want whatever regular inmates are having. One came up with that give my last meal to a homeless man was one thing that came up. And then this one name popped up with by the name of Julie green. Um, she passed away from ovarian cancer at the age of 60, but she had a decades long project known as the last supper. Uh, Julie green would collect clippings of execution notices and last meal rights. If she could find them. And she is, she had painted over 800 plates with last meals of the executed death row inmates on them. Uh, these plates are currently on display at the Bellevue Art Museum in Bellevue, Washington. Huh. From, like, the pictures of it that I saw is just, like, rows upon rows of different sized shaped plates. And they're all white with blue. So, from a distance, it looks like a giant blue willow, you know, china collection until you get gotcha. close and see that she painted uh, what these last meals were on there. Damn. I mean, that's kind of cool, though. Yeah. Uh, one of the plates that she did have for Indiana was called Mother, and not like an Ed Kemper type mother. Mother. Um, that had, you know, <laughs> a dancing rendition in, you know, the truck earlier this weekend. <laughs> but <laughs> that was, It was pretty fucking great. Um, there wasn't any dates on who or names with the inmate was, just a small information on it was that Mother was on there to, his request was to have his mother cooked his part of his last meal and the state requested it. Oh, so did it actually happen? Did yes. mom get to cook a meal? Yes. Yep. It okay. was uh, dumplings. If I remember correctly from what it said on there, but I couldn't find an inmate name to see who it was and what his crimes were. Huh? So that's a little bit more about last meals. That's interesting. So that was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Good job. So it's like sometimes it's like, oh, like, hey, I'm doing last meals. And you're, you and our listeners probably might be like, you know, people already done this. No, I'm not doing like what everybody else does. I'm giving you the back history of how these things came yeah. about. And I think it came off better than our original idea, which was to do one of us was going to do last meals. Right. And the other was going to do last words. Right. Which... And I was going to do the last words. But I found that it would have. That for sure would have come out like a list. Yeah. Like, there was this person. This is what they did. This is when they died. This is the last thing they said. However, I told you, I did start looking into, like, uh, last words of people that were, uh, like, on hospice or, you know, in the process of dying. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those are really fucking creepy. Oh, I'm sure. So I may still do that in the future, but again, it would come out very list-like. Well, I mean... It could still do it because being the macabre emporium, you know, it might be still interesting to hear what these creepy last words were. Yeah, like there was one that I had found that um, 
it was a woman on hospice and her last words were, if I remember right, it was something like, uh, why don't they have eyes? I was like, Ugh. right. It's like, who <laughs> doesn't have eyes? It's just me in here. <laughs> right. But yeah, there's, there were quite a few that I found that right. were very interesting and creepy. So I may, I may still do that at some point, mm-hmm. but I felt like there's no way that if I had done that, that yours would have been as good as it was. Right. Cause it is very just list, yeah. list ridden. So, yeah. So I was just also thinking with Sarah's announcement earlier, and if you're not getting enough true crime in your life, since if I'm not enough for you or whatever, um, friends of Dark Windows Podcast, there was a couple that has started their own show within the last couple months known as Danzy True Crime. I've currently started listening to them myself, and they remind me of Sarah and I in our first, you know, beginning stages and not in a bad way, you know, just mm-hmm. all the excitement and everything and whatnot. And they've covered a lot of people that I've never heard of before. Danzy. Yep. Danzy. D-A-N-S-I. True crime. Okay. So. I've never heard of them. Yeah. You, know. you didn't share them with me. Well. Fucking hoarder of podcasts you are. Well, yeah. <laughs> You're supposed to be doing classwork anyhow, lady. Oh, well. When I'm <laughs> taking my break, that is what that break is for, is to focus on my job, not be super fucking, like, too exhausted to do this, mm-hmm. and to work on the courses that I have to work on and right. get, hopefully, them done. I know. That's what my break is for. Shit. <laughs> I know. my dick. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just leaving that in there. Of course. Oh, wait, I forgot. <clears throat> oh, I'll just take that out and post it. Now I have to leave it in there. <laughs> so anyhow, with all that said, I think it might be time we close Emporium up for today, sir. What do you think? I agree. So until next time. Remember to creep it real. Okay. Real stupid. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Please check out our website at macabemporiumpodcast.com. Join our Facebook group by searching Macabre Emporium. Like and subscribe on YouTube at Macabre Emporium Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Macabre Emporium. And if you have any stories of the paranormal, your local true crime, or weird history that you would want us to look into and possibly do an episode on, email us at macabreemporiumpod at gmail.com. Remember to follow, rate, like, review, and share whenever and wherever you can and help us grow our little baby podcast.